the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2020 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. If this is the first time you heard the show, hey, welcome aboard. The show is in a couple of parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going to court, avoiding probate. And it's very important in today's world to avoid probate. And part of elder law is to try to save assets from nursing home bills show we talk about politics history religion and today we have on rita seculent who was a she's 96 years old and she was a survivor of the blitz in london in world war ii with me right now is an attorney from her office and you know everybody knows him as mel may mel jose and he's from the philippines let me ask you mel what what stories do your family tell you about world war ii in the philippines First of all, um, it's it's nice to be back, and um, I'm, I'm happy to be back here. Well, it, my family believes that, it, that the Americans have saved the Philippines. They liberated Manila, um, and for the most part, most of the structures there, legal, um, has been established by the Americans. You go to a different part of, you know, mostly you know, deep into Luzon, You'd see people who feel that the Jap it was the Japanese that liberated the Philippines. So there's going to be that conflicting, um, but just 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 like anywhere else, I guess. So but okay. for us, there are there are some people who believe that the rule under the Japanese was better than the association under the Americans. There there are there are. Okay, well, there's always two sides to a story or whatever. But in, in any event, uh, Mel, where where are you admitted to practice law? So. Um, I'm admitted both in Manila and in New York. So I practiced law there for a little over a little over ten years, and then moved to New York in 2014 and started working here at Connors and Sullivan, doing real estate, trust in the states work, and some litigation. Okay. So meanwhile, we got some questions there. Can you uh, can you read one of the questions we get through the email? We have a lot here. Yeah, well, let's start with the top. Mr. Connors, I don't have a lot of money, only a couple of IRAs. Can I put my IRAs in a trust to protect them from medical expenses? And if it ever comes to to it, be eligible for Medicaid home care or Medicaid nursing home? Okay, well, you know, the IRA is kind of like a trust in itself. Um, 
Some companies even write the statements that way, you know, for the benefit of. So if your assets are in an IRA, they the principal of those assets are protected from Medicaid, whether it's nursing home or home care. Now, if it's nursing home, the minimum distribution will go to the nursing home unless you're married and your your spouse gets support. Um, but for home care Medicaid right now, if if you have IRA money, you can apply as if that's all you have. You can apply for Medicaid under um, the rules today, and the minimum distribution then would go in a pooled income trust, which could be used to support your bills. Let's say if you own a house, your real estate taxes, insurance, gas, electric. Uh, if you rent, it could cover your rent, gas, electric, things like that. So an IRA is not a problem. You really don't have to do much with an IRA. Just we have to make sure that there's a beneficiary on the IRA because if um, you go on Medicaid and you don't have a beneficiary on your IRA or it says your estate, well, then it's going to go through court and your estate, if it goes through your estate in that case, you Medicaid will put a lien on your estate and those assets that are in that IRA, you will you will lose. So be careful, but having an IRA, yes, there's no obstacle getting Medicaid in New York. Now, you go to another state, they have different rules. And, of course, if, if you're a veteran, there are different rules for the veterans' benefits about as concerning IRAs as New York. If you're a veteran and you want to go for a veterans' benefit, um, your IRA counts as an asset. If you live in New York, your IRA does not count as an asset. So it can get confusing at some points, and, of course— as far as the veterans are concerned, if you got about $150,000 worth of assets or less, you can apply for their benefit program. If you have more than $16,800 in, in assets, not counting an IRA in New York, then you can apply for benefits. But, you, you know, there, there are a lot of different uh, dissimilarities in the law, and, and there are different laws in each state. So you got to be careful when you're looking for benefits. But New York is really the best place to, to be. Michael? Where can somebody email us a question if they have one? If you want to email us a question, you can reach us at askmikeconnors at gmail.com. That's askmikeconnors at gmail.com. Connors is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R-S. Askmikeconnors at gmail.com, and we'll try to get back to you. If you are comfortable having your question asked on air, if it's not too confidential, you may hear it on the radio. Okay, and ML, what's the next question you got? Do you have time for one more question, Mr. Connors? Yeah, I think we got time Just for one more. Just a follow-up. You mentioned rather briefly about a pulled income trust. I had a client last week, uh, they were so concerned about, okay, because I told them, if mom and dad pass away, what happens to the money that's left in the pulled income trust? Well, right? yeah. it disappears, in effect. How do we make sure that they have access to it while well, they're alive? While they're alive, you, you spend the money. Okay, if you if you let's say you want to apply for home care Medicaid in New York, if your income is basically more, and I'm using round numbers, but if your income is more than $1,000, if you don't want to lose your income, you have to set up a pooled income trust. And you take your, your excess income over $1,000. And again, I'm using round numbers. You put it into a trust, and then you pay bills with it. You can pay your rent. You can pay if you own a house. And, of course, if you own a house, it better be in a trust. But you can pay your real estate taxes, your insurance, gas, electric, cable. You can pay your credit card bills for food and other expenses. You can uh, prepay a funeral. You can make car payments. You can use the, the pooled income trust, but the, the, the danger of that, if you have too much accumulated in your pooled income trust and you pass away, 
the money in that account will go back to the government. So we got to be a little careful in that. If we put money in a pooled income trust, we want to spend it. But usually usually it's not that hard to spend. Even if you put three, $4,000 a month in the pooled income trust, usually you can spend three to $4,000 a month. you got real estate taxes you can pay in advance. Um, you know, if you have, you know, even fuel bills, sometimes you can pay a little bit in advance, things like that. But you need, you should spend the money, you know, as soon as it comes in. And, and that's one of the, the keys about a pooled income trust when you have to spend the money. Now, if you have any questions about that, you can schedule an appointment with one of our, um, Medicaid paralegals with me or Mel or one of the other attorneys, and we'll go over the rules, but almost the the pooled income trust allows someone with three, four, five, six thousand dollars a month to apply for benefits for home care benefits and still, you know, keep maintain their eligibility, be able to use their income, most of their income, and by most, you might get charged about forty, fifty dollars a month in a service fee. But it, they're very good programs in New York to get on Medicaid. Pooled Income Trust is one of them. And if, if, if you have any questions, give us a call at Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. The initial consultation is free. Anything we do as far as estate planning and elder law, the first consultation is free, and then we take it from there. And usually when we do estate planning, elder law, Medicaid applications, we do it on a flat fee basis. So we don't charge by the hour in those cases, so you know exactly you know, how much it would be uh, to carry out your plan. And, you know, we're going over email questions again. Michael, can you give the email address again? Once again, if you want to reach us with an email question, that's askmikeconnors, askmikeconnors, C-O-N-N-O-R-S, at gmail.com. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and after the break, we're going to be talking to Reed about experiences in World War II. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, in the last few weeks, we've been listening to a lot of people tell their stories about being in 
Ukraine and, and what's happening and people suffering from bombings. But, you know, it's not the first time in Europe we've had bombings. And to remind us a little bit about history, we have Rita Seculin. If you remember, she was on a few weeks ago. Welcome back, Rita. I'm glad to be here. Okay. <laughs> so let, let's, let's go a little bit about your history. May I just ask, how old are you right now or how young are you? What, when were you born? When, well, when was I born? Yes. Oh, August 27th, 1925. 1925. So at the beginning of World War II, how old were you? Uh, I was uh, 14. Uh-huh. 14 years old. Okay. When war first broke out, what was it like in England? What happened? Well, when it first broke it broke out, it was things were quiet, and then eventually they sent the school children away because they they knew that there was going to be bombing. So we were more or less it was more or less mandatory to get the children out of London. So we were sent away to the resort sections of England. And caught it was very nice. We were swimming and on the beach all the time. We didn't know anything was happening. Well, then I wanted to go back to London because I wanted to go to work. And uh, in about 10 months, I was able to go back to London. And then um, I, I started to work. And then the raids, the air raids started. So it, I was glad to be back, really, because my family was still there. You know, I'd rather be with my family no matter what. And what was it like during the air raids? What was it like? You, now you're a relatively young woman then. What was it like what, when the living air raids? in the air raid shelters? Yeah. Well, what kind of shelter did you have? Well, seeing that we, I lived in a private home. The, my family had a private shelter. They came and built it in the in the garden. It was very, very small, and five of us had to sleep sardine like you know like this like this, and that included the dog so he he came with us, and he loved it when the air raids are went, oh my goodness, he was jumping up and down with excitement. And he ran out into the garden and he jumped on top of the ARA children waiting for us. <laughs> so then we all went in it, you know. This was when the first started with the bombing. And the dog, too, oh, he had a wonderful time. <laughs> and we slept that way, too. It was rough because it, it was very, very cold, you know. There's no heat. And it was winter time. And we all huddled together in when we slept at night. But my dad tried to make it as comfortable as possible. He put a concrete floor down so that we didn't weren't standing in the mud. And he put shelf up, you know, to put things on and the clock and everything. And um, well, we we used the, the air raid shelter for a while and then it got to the point where we we wanted to sleep properly so we would go in the house and my dad and mum would put the uh, 
the mattresses from the bed onto the floor so we and make up the beds on the floor so we slept on the floor at home at least it was warm we had warmth in the house and we could sleep a little but as soon as the air raid where we were we all shut up <laughs> we had to go back down the garden and we disputed the air raid shelter but after a while it got to the point where you didn't care because you were so tired and fed up with the routine of the air raid shelter that we went back into the house and we slept on the floor and I didn't mind it we didn't mind it one bit because it was warmer and we were with the whole family as usual and um, you didn't feel so bad sleeping in your own place even though it was very very dangerous because once that got hit you were finished either way so we thought we'd rather be warm if we got to go so <laughs> we might as well sleep a bit Did but you... you can get used to anything when you have to how long did the bombing last? About four months. Okay. Continuous bombing. At first it was spaced out, you know, but then they got to the point where they wanted to bomb London to the ground. So it was all day and every day. Never ceased. They would send over as many as 200 planes at night and then um, each night was about the same. But even though it was rough, there were some funny, funny things that would happen with people, you know, the way they react. And we'd laugh at them and try to make the best of it. And the people did funny things, you know. We had a neighbour... She had a little dog. <laughs> he loved the shelter too. And she, one one night she went running down the garden and to the shelter and she was putting her fist up at Hitler. She said, bloody Hitler. She said, I haven't eaten since last Friday. You won't let me eat. <laughs> She's carrying the dog under her arm. <laughs> we, we used to get some laughs. We really did. It was wasn't all sadness, you know, you make the best of things and you find things funny that you never thought funny before. So it wasn't completely the, the end of the world. Did you ever see any neighbors or friends that were killed in the, in the Blitz yes. bombing? Yes, my my girlfriend one night, her family, her little sister and her family, uh, they got a direct hit onto the air raid shelter and her little sister was blown to pieces and she was sitting in the kitchen eating and the blast from the bomb went right into the kitchen and she was found eating completely dead yes she was had the fork, knife and fork in her hand and she was just sitting like that dead 
the breath had been taken right out of her body. But her little sister wasn't so lucky. She was blown to pieces. They were my very close friends. And the parents were at the movies. When they came home from the movies, that's what they found. Their house gone and the two two children killed. I was very upset about that. Yes, it's it's tragic. You know, it's a terrible, terrible thing. War. How do you how do you keep going after that? Excuse me. How do you keep going after so, seeing something like oh, that? Oh, you, you do. You do. Now, were you going to work each day? Yes. So, so in other words, there would be a bombing at night, and next morning you would get up and go to work. Yes. Where were you working then? I was working in a, in a um, plant, you know, where they made some parts of the pilot's mouthpiece. It was a big plant. We all worked there. There was two of them in my neighborhood, and we all worked there, you know. Yep, all young girls, we all worked there, yeah. Now, right now they're talking about, in Ukraine, possibility of, of chemical or biological weapons, were you afraid of, you know, being gassed back then? Gassed? You mean in the war, the last war? Yes. Well, we were issued gas masks. Yes, I, I think gas frightened me much more than the, the bombing. I thought, you know, most of us, I, was, I wasn't the only one. And it, they gave us gas masks. <laughs> we didn't look very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> did you wear them all the time, or when did you well, wear we them? Well, we had to for a while. It was mandatory. And then it became fashionable that you got a fashionable container to put them in. Oh, I had to have that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to have the latest in style. You wore it round like a handbag, you know. And then they they figured that no gas was going to be used. So they took them, they didn't take them away right away, but they we didn't have to carry them. But the thing that bothered me most was the helmet, the, the hard helmet, because it was the same ones the soldiers wore, and they weighed a ton. You know, you're trying to run along on this, and you had to wear it. And then they did the same thing there. They took them away because it became more or less impossible for a, 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 a woman to really tolerate that thing. I hated it. I could see the purpose of it, but um, it was got to the point it was just too much for us. So we weren't forced to wear it anymore. And then you get used to this way of life, you know, it's it's a whole different life, and day after day after day, after a while, it becomes routine. I wouldn't want it for the rest of my life, but you tolerate in a way, and you manage to enjoy, even enjoy life with movies. Our main enjoyment was movies and dancing, and I love both, so I had to go. <laughs> But um, 
they did the best they could to keep us happy, and they did a very, very good job. And then the Americans came in and helped us and were wonderful. Uh, we loved them. We loved them all. What what was what kind of type of food were you eating? Well, f- food was pretty bad, but my mom was a very good cook, and she could make things out of nothing. <laughs> I never was a big eater anyway, but um, Americans came uh, sent a lot of food over, and I tasted spam for the first time. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to love that, and it was a great help. It was a great help. We loved it, and so there was some laughter in between all this. You know, you get used to a different life. It's not the life I'd like to get used to. Yeah, I remember one time when London was being attacked all day and all night, they kept dropping the firebombs and one hit our front garden on the the fence and it caught fire. (laughs) And my dad was the chief firefighter and watcher of our road. (laughs) When, When something happens to a neighbor, the chief has to go to the neighbor, not to us. He had to go to the neighbor. So we had to carry all, there was no hoses because all the firemen were using them. You know, it was all over London. So we had to use buckets of water. (laughs) I couldn't carry a bucket of water. (laughs) Throw it on in the flame. The, The whole fence was demolished. But you have to put it out right away because they could see the pilots, the German pilots can see where they are if it's all lit up in London. So we had to put them out as fast as we could. And my dad, a neighbor, he was asleep in bed and he had to get him out of that bed. So he went into the house and he couldn't wake him up. He was lying there sound asleep, bombs dropping, fire. <laughs> So in the end, he got his friend and they got got hold of him and they threw him out of the bed and they threw the bed, which was on fire, down through the window. He took the mattress off and the, between the two of them, they got it through the window into the street. The man was still sleeping. I think he was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe that's one way to get through the no, war. I, no, he, I think he had, he'd been drinking, so he never woke up. <laughs> <laughs> so there were a few funny episodes in between all this. At the, at, at the darkest hour, did, did you ever feel that the Germans would win the war? No, never. Why? Because I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> But were some people defeatist? Did some people think, you know, it was... It was Excuse me, dear. Did some people think it was useless to keep fighting or it wasn't the right thing to do? Well, yes, it, it was the right thing to do. Uh, obviously. You have to defend the country. 
I'm sure, yes, they were con what they called conscientious objectors. Did you ever hear of them? Yes. And we had no use for them. <laughs> no. I never, I never was mean or anything. I mean, I tried to understand their way of thinking because they're entitled to think that way, but I had no use for them. Can you tell us a story about a shy boy who was a neighbor, who was uh, also a pilot or was in the RAF? I have to have, hear that again. I okay, there was a neighbor, it was a shy boy who asked you out on a date. The pilot. Yes. Oh, yes. Can you yes. tell us that story? I had. I was very, very much like a, a young pilot in my neighborhood, and um, he finally asked me out. <laughs> he said, told me, he said, I'll be on a furlough, which is a long leave. It's about nine days. He said, starting Saturday, he said... I'd like very much to take you out. Oh, I was absolutely in seventh heaven. So I, I said I would like to go. So just a few days before that Saturday, his mother, who was friendly with my mother, she called to tell her that he had been shot down and killed. He was a pilot. And my mom had to tell me, and I was very, very upset, but I felt so sorry for his mother and the family. You know, he was a lovely young man, a good person, you know, and um, that was a tragedy. Anyway, I met my husband when the Americans came. <laughs> okay, now you, your husband was an American. Excuse me, dear. Your husband was an American. Oh yes. Where did you meet him? He was a GI, a, you know, a soldier. That when the Americans came to help us in uh, England, he was one of the soldiers. He was in the Air Force, and the Eighth Air Force, which was the real boys at that time, and um, we met dancing because that's what we all did was to go dancing. I love to dance anyway. And um, I met my husband. My husband was 15 years older than I am, but he was wonderful. Yeah. I, I never noticed anything strange about a man being that much older than I am. I loved him, and he, he really treated me like a woman. And so... Um, but we loved the way the American GIs bonded with the families when they came over. I saw one for the first time on a bus, and I'm sitting opposite. opposite. He was with a girl, his girlfriend, and I, I didn't know then. I had not seen one American then. This was the first American soldier I had seen. They had only just come were filtering over. And I looked at him and I, oh, I'd love to go out with him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I thought that was the most wonderful thing on earth. It didn't take me long, I can tell you. <laughs> and we... We appreciated them so much. They were so wonderful to us. 
and to the children and um, the ladies. And oh, it, it was very prestigious to date an American soldier. Oh, uh, I used to love to go out with them. I loved them so much. <laughs> and they did so much for us, for the for the country. And so many of them were killed, just like the British boys in the air raids. My father, he was going to work one day and the air raid started and he had to help. You have to help. He jumped off his bicycle and he went into this place where the bomb had dropped and he was helping them get the boys out because it was an American place where they all went to to sleep, you know, and watch up. And he said he saw them blown into the walls. Yeah, he said it was terrible. Uh, and he helped as much as he could. And I don't know how he could stand it, but um, somebody has to do it, you know. But, but they, they lost so many boys too, so many of the Americans were killed by the raids and that. But we loved them so much. Everything was the Yanks, you know. And people were naming their children after them, even their dogs after them. They named them Yank, you know. But it was, it was a, such a relief to think that, you know, we were being taken care of and everybody loves them uh, everybody yes how long did you know your husband george before you got married before we got married yes well i knew him through the war right and then after the war we both went back to england i could have i could have stayed and been married had a military wedding. They they provided that if we wanted it, and I wish I had have done. I would have. I, I, my husband didn't want it, but I wish I had had persuaded him. I would have loved a, a military wedding in. So it was about ten months, I think, before he was able to. He was discharged, and then. I was able to go come with him over to the United States. Uh, yeah, and I've I've never regretted it. It was wonderful. Yeah, I was very happy. Very very happy. How I got hard, what I wanted. How hard was it back then, as far as bureaucracy? Seems we did. How hard was it with the bureaucracy? to come to the United States to get married to a U.S. soldier? How hard? Yes. Was it for me to come over? Yes. No, I took a standby. I could take a standby on the plane. I came over by plane. And if you took a standby, you were called just as soon as they got a vacancy. So that's what I did. Otherwise, I would have had to wait a long time. And it was the the journey wasn't too pleasant because there's no jet planes in those days and there was no stabilizers or anything and I was dreadfully sick 
and it took 15 hours for me to get to England from here. We made two stops. One was in Ireland. We had dinner there. That was very nice. And the second stop was Newfoundland. Were you in Newfoundland? No, my grandparents were. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all country. It's beautiful. But we we just, um, they stopped to refuel. And we had dinner there. And um, you could go to the, the bathrooms and make yourself, because there's nothing like that on the plains. <laughs> There was bathrooms, but not the way they are now. It took 15 hours to get here. I was sick as a dog. <laughs> they give you a paper bag. <laughs> but one thing they did, they cook on the plane. There's no frozen dinners or anything. And in the morning, you could smell the bacon and eggs. But I never ate bacon. Oh, I, don't, I felt sick as a dog, and then this bacon I ate. <laughs> I ate nothing. Not until I got to New York. <laughs> Let's step back a minute. What your wedding? How were you married? Where were you married? In London. Uh, and who? What kind of ceremony was it? Who was there? It was just um. I just got married in the, 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 I think it was at the home of the, what do you call him, that marries you, I don't know what they call him. Justice of the Peace, we might call him here. The minister. Minister, okay. Yes, it was very nice. My husband, excuse me, dear. How did your family feel about you marrying an American? No, they, they liked my husband so much, so they were very... Very happy that he was a good person and he would be a good husband. And um, my mom wasn't my my mom wasn't too keen about me living over here. You know, she cried and cried. You know, but we went back after three years for for a vacation. Oh, we, it was wonderful. We came back to England. We had a wonderful time. And we would keep going back and forwards, you know, as much as we could for my family, especially my mom. And um, I kept trying to get her to come over. She wouldn't come. Uh, I said, you'll love it. I said, I'll, I'll fly back with you. Said, oh, no, 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 no. She wouldn't. I was upset about that because I would have loved both my parents to come have come here and see exactly the United States and um, to see how I was living. You know, my mom loved them, would love America. She, oh, she loved the Yanks. Oh, she loved them. <laughs> but I couldn't get her to come over. Uh, but we did the best we can, you know, keep sending the big parcels of food and in the beginning because they needed the food. And my husband and I would pack and send it over so they'd have plenty to eat. And I'd send them things that they'd never eaten before, you know, like... You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, they just loved, especially my dad, because he was a big eater, you know, men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, they were very happy about that, and we'd keep going over there, so it wasn't too bad for them. Where did you live when you first came to America? Oh, uh, we lived in Cody Island. Oh, I loved it. I was because I loved to swim, you know. Uh-huh. And, and we lived in um, I, we lived in Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan. I didn't know it was Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was four forties, fifties street of the Hell's Kitchen. 50th Street and, and um, Manhattan. Oh, I didn't care about Bell's Kitchen. <laughs> I had a lovely time. <laughs> but you see, all these places weren't big enough. You know, I wanted something nice. And we kept moving until we finally got to Bayridge. <laughs> what was Coney, Lo- Coney Island like in the after the war in the 1940s? Long Island? Coney Island. Coney was very nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was. Uh, it's not what I want. I wanted to be in Manhattan because I wanted to go to work. I wanted to be a model, and I was ready to study. I went to school for modeling school in in um, here in uh, Manhattan, and I was determined. I went about six months, I think. And then every week I would go out and look for a job as a model. I'd never been in a model studio. I would never didn't know a thing about it, but I was determined. And when I got my first job, oh, oh I thought I was hot stuff. <laughs> what was your first job? It was, uh, I, ca- I can't remember the name of it. It was uh, in Manhattan was very nice and I had another model with me that worked with me I knew nothing about it only what I learned at the school you know which was important anyway and um, but I wanted to be more prestigious I wanted more money and I wanted the experience so I would keep looking for a better job you know until I, I got what I wanted and I was very happy Fifteen years I worked as a model. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. That's the only work I ever did it here. It was as a model. When I left, I was through. My legs were shot. I had to have surgery on both my knees, and um, I was through as a model then. Well, after those many years, <laughs> I don't think I wanted any more. <laughs> But I loved it. I loved work very much. I loved fashion and all that. So that's the story of my life. Okay. What did your husband do? My husband, when he worked, because my husband lived in the Middle West when we first got married. I lived there 10 months, and I said, i got to get out of here because I wanted to be in Manhattan. So he... He said, well, what am I going to do? I said, oh, you'll find a job. (laughs) (laughs) So we came to Manhattan, and he knew some people at the Army base, the Army base, 
and that's where he was working. He got a job there, and, and he liked it very much. And um, he would take care. He would take care of the the men that would go to sail on the ships. So he would process them and have them uh, record of them in on the ships. And he said they were they were so illiterate they couldn't even sign their name. And then he he wanted something better than that, and he was always interested in the FBI. And he had friends that were, were working there. And with a little bit of pull, they got him a job there. Yes, you have to, you know. And he had to go through training, you know, and it was rough. I wasn't too happy about it because the, the job is dangerous. And, um, uh, but I figured if that's what he wants, you know, do it and find out for yourself. But he was very lucky, he was safe, and he loved what he was doing. And he did a lot of night work, a lot. I used to tease him. I, I, I mean, I, I should have said this, but I used to tease him. I'd say, did you shoot anybody today? <laughs> <laughs> he said, that ain't funny. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I just meant it make it light, you know, but he liked it, and he liked the night work too, which I didn't, but uh, whatever he liked was okay with me, and then unfortunately he got cancer, yeah. How many years were you married? I've almost forgotten. (laughs) That's because it was a good one. (laughs) Uh, and then um, he got cancer they operated they did what they could you know um, uh, and then eventually he he didn't make it so that's all I can talk about that you know, the war is over. Excuse me. No, I'm just... Oh, okay. I'm okay. Oh, okay. I'm okay. If I don't think about it too much, I'm okay. You know, the war's over more than 75 years, World War II. What, uh, about the war, what was your most memorable experience? Where were you on VE Day? Victory in Europe. Where were you that day? Where was I when the war was over? I was in the... I'd have to relax a bit. I've never talked this much about the war or things, you know. War's over now. People don't talk about it as much. But I don't mind. I mean, I don't mind talking to you people. I was in England, yes, because I remember asking my mom if I could go out to the celebration because they had a big celebration in London. And my girlfriend and I, all we wanted to have a good time, you know. So I asked my mum if it was all right if if I went, because I knew I'd be home late. She said, yes, she said, but be careful. 
So I said, I said, everybody's going to enjoy themselves because this is uh, the war was over. So we went, we had a nice time, they all celebrating and, and we came home. It was a lovely feeling, especially to go in a shop. <laughs> Took a long time though. <laughs> I remember during the war, somebody told me there was something, somebody selling ice cream. I said, ice cream? I said, I've got to take my mom some because she loved ice cream. So I went to this place and it was like two wafers and it wasn't real ice cream. It was like a mixture of water and, and maybe milk or something and they froze it. But the time they'd put it on and given it to me, it was all running down it. And I remember running all the way home because I wanted my mom to have it. And there was nothing left. <laughs> but it was quite a while before we had ice cream when the Americans came. <laughs> and Thanksgiving, I had never heard of Thanksgiving. And when the Americans were over here, they would celebrate that day, you know. And the, the the army would cook them a real Thanksgiving dinner, and they told them that they could invite one girlfriend to the dinner each. So I was one of the girlfriends. <laughs> well, they sat me down and they put a plate. I think it was as big as this, <laughs> piled high with turkey and all the trimmings. I'd never eaten that much. I, I, I said, I can't eat this. Take it home. I thought, take it home. So I, I nibbled around because my stomach was so shriveled up that I couldn't eat too much. So I, I couldn't believe it. I, I was eating the, the turkey and the, the stuffing I liked because it was sweet. And when it's time for me to leave, the women to leave, they packed up a whole dinner for, for the family. And I couldn't believe it. They said, well, can you take this home? I said, oh, yes, my mum and dad, they would love it. <laughs> so they packed up this whole dinner for me. But he said, before you go, you're going to have something else. And they brought a plate, a dinner plate, piled out with ice cream. <laughs> I said I couldn't possibly eat all that. <laughs> I loved ice cream. So he said, eat what you can. I couldn't bring it home, naturally. So uh, that was what I enjoyed, the ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> then I had cake. <laughs> that I brought home. <laughs> so my parents had a lovely dinner for a few days because they gave me so much food they did it for all the all the girls that came with them so they treated us very nice i never really heard of thanksgiving but it was wonderful to know and they would laugh and make us laugh tell us jokes clean ones of course <laughs> and <laughs> we all had a one of them we danced and it was lovely, had a nice time. So, yeah.
Do you have anything else to say to our audience? No, they must be bored by now. <laughs> I think a few of them are finding this interesting. They fall asleep. So. Yes. yes. It's, I you know, you're part them. of history. Yeah. <laughs> no, Rita, you are part of history. You are part of history. <laughs> Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Okay. Okay. I, I don't think you'll want to hear. I don't want to hear another thing about war. All right. Thank you so it's much. It's been my pleasure to have enjoyed talking to you. Okay. Thank you. Do you know how many Christians live in the Middle East? Six million people. Do you know how many Christians need your help? Every single one. Do you know what we can do? With St. Francis in Beirut, we can give them hope. We can give them medicines. We can give them medical equipment. We can give them everything they're looking for because some others decided to remove Christianity from the Middle East. But if we will help them every single day, not just to feed them or clothing, it's all about giving them another day with the idea that they are recognized, that we love them, there are cousins, sisters, there are roots. So, St. Francis in Beirut, it's all about helping Christians. And you can be part of that help too. If you want to help Father Paul in his mission, send your donations to St. Francis in Beirut, 213 Stanton Street, New York, New York, 10002. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Are you or your parents' assets protected from nursing home bills? Did you know these bills can exceed $15,000 a month? People work their entire lives to live comfortably in retirement, but when people become ill and need to go to a nursing home or receive home care, the bills can drain their assets, leaving many people bankrupt. The good news is that you can prevent that from happening if you plan in advance. Connors & Sullivan's lawyers can customize a plan that specifically protects your interests, including your home. Schedule a free comprehensive telephone consultation with Mike Connors to discuss your issues and concerns from the security of your home. Call today, 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Don't let nursing home bills take your life's savings and leave you and your loved ones bankrupt. Don't wait another minute. Mike Connors can take you through the process by telephone and start a plan designed for you today. That's 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors & Sullivan, Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.